This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love as you listen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the victory that is in your Son. We thank you that death has been defeated for all who know Christ. And Father, we pray that as we begin this new series on the life of Joseph, seeing the way that you are causing all of the circumstances of our lives to come together for our good and for your glory. Lord, you were undefeated and our victory is in you for we are in you. Lord, we pray for anyone who is here today or anyone who is watching today or in the future who doesn't yet know Christ. Lord, would you ignite faith today? Lord, for those of us today that need a word of encouragement. Maybe we've come to church today just just feeling like we're barely hanging on. There's a burden. There's pain. Lord, would you would you give hope today? Would you impart hope in you? And so Lord, strengthen your church today. Bring new people into your church through your son. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Well, I I love the times that I've been able to visit the city of Philadelphia, and I love my friends from from Philly. I have several friends uh, from Philadelphia, and they're all uh, great. But, you know, Philly sports fans have a reputation of being really, really tough. And there's a funny story from back in the, the 60s that kind of, illustrates the the toughness of Philly sports fans. This was at an Eagles game, and it was in December. It was late in the NFL season. It was cold. It was snowing that day. The Eagles were an awful team. They'd had a terrible year, and this was late in the game, and it had been an awful game, and they were losing once again, and the fans were in a foul mood. They were surly. Well, somebody had the idea that, well, let's just kind of brighten things up here by bringing Santa Claus out. After all, it's December, and so out comes Santa Claus Well, the fans did not respond with Christmas cheer. (laughs) They responded by pelting Santa with snowballs and by booing Santa. And at that moment, Philadelphia did not seem like the city of brotherly love. The story of Joseph and his brothers is in part a story of brotherly hate. And it continues kind of a theme of conflict between brothers that you see throughout the book of Genesis. Cain and Abel. Cain murdering his brother. Isaac and Ishmael constantly at one another. 
Jacob and Esau conflict. And so this conflict between brothers winds its way throughout the book of Genesis. And we're going to look at the story of Joseph and his brothers, and it is some story. (laughs) It is full of bends in the road and twists and turns and all kinds of surprises, and it'll keep us on the edge of our seats. But as we look at that story, we're going to look at a bigger story. Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid says this, in fact, the story of Genesis 37 through 50 is not even just about Joseph and his brothers. It is a key part of the story about God's grand plan for Israel and what he is up to in the lives of his people and what he's up to in your life. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37 this morning. Genesis chapter 37, as we kick off this new series on Joseph, we're going to begin with this message from chapter 37 that we're calling Favored Son, Hated Brother. And we are going to walk our way through the whole of this chapter, so I'm not going to to read it at the beginning because we're going to be reading it all the way through this morning as we, as we walk through it. What we're going to do is walk through the chapter and make some observations and then we're going to come along and get some takeaways from that. You have an outline on the back of your bulletin if you want to take notes there and, uh, and follow along and just keep your Bibles open and ready as we just kind of walk through the text together. So what do we see here in chapter 37? Well, first of all, in verses 1 through 4, we see a lot of hatred. (laughs) Hatred. Let's begin here in in verses 1 and 2. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. The story of Joseph really begins with the story of his dad, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons by four different wives. That sounds like a lot of drama right there. And there's a lot of drama. (laughs) And in addition to all the mama drama (laughs) that was happening in the family, there was a lot more going on because Joseph and Benjamin, the two youngest boys, were the, the sons of Jacob's favorite wife, the wife that he really loved, Rachel. And they were born when Jacob was older, and so he doted on these two younger sons, favored them. And the others, the older boys, acted out in all kinds of ways. Two of them filled with rage, rampage through a village and kill every man in a village. One of them sleeps with one of his father's wives. Another one sleeps with his daughter-in-law. I mean, reality TV has nothing on this family. But then into this 
this cauldron, this witch's brew of dysfunction in this family, you can throw in Jacob's favoritism of Joseph, and it was toxic. What do we see here? Pick it up in the latter part of verse two. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph. Israel is just another name for Jacob here, same guy. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a long-sleeved robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Now, going back to verse 2 here, we see that Joseph brings this bad report about his older brothers to, to their father. And here we see something about the way that Joseph comes across at this point in his life. He's 17 years old. And at this point in his life, Joseph really comes across as somewhat of a brat. Spoiled, entitled, a tattletale. He brings this bad report about his older brothers to their, to their father. And then Jacob just makes it worse. And see, Jacob is following the same pattern that he had experienced in his own family. What had happened in Jacob's family growing up? Jacob's mother favored him and his father favored his brother Esau. And, and, and so Jacob hasn't learned a thing about parenting. <laughs> He's repeating the same pattern. And then he does something that's just going to throw it in the faces of his older sons. What happens? Verse three. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons. Wow, just think about that statement. What would it be like to grow up knowing that you are less loved than a sibling? Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age and he made a long-sleeved robe for him. Now, traditionally, this is the, called a coat of many colors. The Hebrew is ambiguous. It can be translated in, in different ways. And the truth is that we don't know exactly what this robe looked like. But the Hebrew is very clear about this. It was ornate. It was showy. And it was like a neon sign that was just flashing and blinking to Joseph's older siblings. And every time that it blinked, it blinked out, you are less loved. Not good. But now, more fuel is going to just get thrown onto this fire. The second thing that we see here in verses 
5 through 11 is dreams. Dreams. Let's pick it up in verse 5. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. When I was interning here, I think Pastor Thompson's here today, Psalmist Thompson. But when I was interning here under Pastor Thompson, which was awesome, we would, we would sometimes be with people and uh, we'd be in a meeting or something like that and somebody would say something that wasn't, wasn't really good. And I remember Pastor Thompson would look over at me and he would say, Thurman, that person needs to take a course <laughs> called How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think Joseph needed that course at this point in his life because he doesn't have a lot of relational intelligence at this point. But the dream is real. The dream's real. And then he has another one. Pick it up in, in verse 8. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Well, at this point, even his father, who thinks Joseph hung the moon, is taken aback by this. He told his father and his brothers, verse 10, and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you've had, he said. Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. The whole thing seemed crazy. But by this point in his life, Jacob has walked with God long enough to where he's not going to dismiss it. Dreams. The third thing that we see here is treachery. Treachery. There comes a day when the older brothers are out tending the flocks, pasturing the flocks. They're out in a very, very rural, remote area and Jacob sends Joseph out to check on his brothers and bring back a report. It's almost like Joseph functioned as Jacob's spy on his older brothers. So Jacob sends him out, go find them, bring me back a, a report. And so here's Joseph wandering around in this vast wilderness trying to locate his older brothers and at that point, we pick up the action here. And let's go to verse 15. <clears throat> a man found him there, wandering in the field, and asked him, what are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they are pasturing their flocks? Oh, they've moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. 
So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, one of the themes of the story of Joseph begins to emerge. And that is the theme of the hidden hand of God. Moving and working, moving the chess pieces in place. Because Joseph's out here wandering around in this wilderness looking for his brothers when he just happens to come across this man who just happens to have seen the brothers and just happens to have heard them say exactly where they're going to be. Verse 18 They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. The brother's like, this is our chance. We're out here in the boonies. Nobody will know. This is our chance to get rid of him. Verses 19 and 20, they said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. It's almost like they think that they can kill the dreams by killing the dreamer. Kind of like a lot of people around the world think they can kill Christianity by killing Christians. Doesn't work that way. Look at verses 21 and and following. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father. Now Reuben was the oldest son and you can see here that he's, he's trying to be the rational one, the oldest one. He's trying to bring some sense of sanity to this. And, and, and Reuben is trying to provide some leadership to this motley crew of brothers. But he's a weak leader. They just blow him off. Pick it up in verse 23. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe. They took special delight in that. The robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. They sat down to eat a meal. Whoa. The narrator just throws in this last detail just to show how cold-blooded this was. Here's Joseph languishing in the pit, empty cistern, and his brothers sit down to enjoy a meal, cold. One of the brothers, Judah, has an enterprising idea. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain 
if we kill our brother and cover up his blood. Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother. I mean, the irony of that statement, right? It's completely lost on them. He is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. Judah's like, hey, we can accomplish our goal of getting rid of him and rake in some dough at the same time. Let's sell him as a slave. Verse 28. When Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. Now, once again, we see the hidden hand of God moving in all of this because this entire scene takes place right along a major trade route where traders were headed down to Egypt. And just at this very moment, here's this group of traders coming along the road, headed to Egypt. What's gonna happen in Egypt? In Egypt, God is going to raise up Joseph to be his instrument for preserving the lives of multitudes of people, including the people from whom one day the Savior was going to be born. But Joseph doesn't understand any of that at this point. He just knows he's 17 years old and his own brothers are selling him off into slavery. Verses 29 and following. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy is gone, what am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the robe in its blood. They sent the long sleeve robe to their father and said, we found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? There's a, there's a poetic symmetry here that's happening because when Jacob deceived his own father Isaac many years before, what did he use? A dead goat. They killed a goat, cooked it. And he deceived his father with the garment of the goat. And now he is going to be deceived with a garment and a dead goat. Again, look at the coldness here of the brothers. What do they say to their father? Is, is it your son's robe or not? They don't even, they hate Joseph so much. They don't even want to say his name. They don't want to call him a brother. They don't want to mention his name. Is this your son's robe? It's almost like in the parable of the prodigal son. You remember the older brother, what the older brother says to his father about his younger brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, hisses it out. And then we see the, the pathos in 
Jacob's response here in verses 33 and following. His father recognized it. It is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol to my son mourning. And his father wept for him. Notice the theme of tearing here. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Jacob tore his own clothes. You've got a family that is torn apart. But through this torn up, impossibly dysfunctional family, what is our great God going to do? He is going to create from these 12 sons a new family. And through that family, he is going to bring forth the Savior for all peoples. Now that's a story. That's a story. What are some takeaways for us this morning? Let's look at three of them. First of all, seeing God's providence in our circumstances. When you hear theologians talk about the providence of God, think about the word provide. Now, provide is a word in English that comes from a combination of two Latin words, pro, on behalf of, and then the vide part of provide comes from the Latin word which means to see. There's an idiom, there's an expression that we use in English sometimes. We say, I'll see to it. What do, you, what do we mean by that? I'll see to it. In other words, I'll make it happen. Right? It'll get done. I'll see to it. God's providence is that God sees to it on our behalf. He makes it happen. And he rules and reigns and governs this world and governs our lives right down to the details. And what does Romans 8.28 promise us? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What a precious promise especially when you're going through trials, especially when your circumstances are not good. Later in the story, these same brothers are gonna make their way down to Egypt. And what's gonna happen when they encounter Joseph? Preview of coming attractions. Let's look at chapter 45. Chapter 45, and let's look first at verse 5. This is when Joseph's brothers come to Egypt, right? They're bowing down, right? Joseph is now the leader of Egypt, right? Remember the dreams? 
they're terrified. They think Joseph's going to kill them. But what does Joseph say? Verse 5. Joseph says, and now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. God sent me. God was in control the entire time working for good. Look at verses 7 and 8 of chapter 45. Joseph continues, God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Look at chapter 50 of Genesis. Genesis 50. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. Again, This is Joseph's brothers coming to him in Egypt, terrified that he's going to to exact revenge upon them. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. That doesn't excuse the sin of of Joseph's older brothers, right? They were guilty of sin. They were accountable for, for their own sin and selling their brother, of course. They had an evil plan, but God had a deeper plan. And God's plan is always good. It's God who was in control of everything that was happening. And there are things that happen in our lives that are painful and difficult and tragic and things that we just simply do not understand when they happen. And we're like, God, what are you doing? What is going on? We, we can't seem to trace, we can't make sense of it. We can't trace God's hand. When you can't trace his hand, Trust his heart. Our God is good. And he rules and he reigns and he's in control. Seeing God's providence in our circumstances. Second, learning to dream God's dream for our lives. Remember what the brothers say as Joseph is approaching that day? They say, here comes the dream expert. Let's, let's kill him and see what becomes of his dreams. There's a scene in the Broadway musical Les Mis where one of the characters, Fantine, sings a song called I Dreamed a Dream. It's a sad song. It's a song about how she was once in love with a young man And this young man that she was in love with uh, left her, abandoned her, pregnant and alone. And Fantine sings, life has killed the dream I dreamed. Life has killed the dream I dreamed. Maybe you feel 
like your dreams have been crushed by events that have taken place in your life. What if God has something bigger and better than what you ever asked or imagined? Tony Evans tells a story about a dad and his little girl, and the little girl asked her dad for a nickel. (laughs) And the dad reached into his pocket, and he didn't have any coins. (laughs) But then he reached into his wallet, and he pulled out a $20 bill. And so he handed his little girl a 20, and he said, Honey, I don't have a nickel, (laughs) but here's a 20. And the little girl was just dejected. She's like, Daddy, I want a nickel. And he tried to explain to her, honey, here's how many nickels go into a 20. She wasn't having any of it. She was stuck on the nickel. Tony Evans says, far too many of us are missing out on a glorious destiny because we want what we want. We want a nickel. We want what we know, what we can see. But God knows we were created for so much more. He desires to teach us what that is if we will learn to let go of our own plans and our own will and seek him first. Learning to dream God's dream for our lives. Third, trusting the Savior we all need. There's so many foreshadowings of Christ in this story, right? A son sent on a mission from his father The son's own people plotting to kill him. The beloved son stripped and left to die. His own brother sitting down to eat a meal as Joseph languishes in the pit, just as soldiers beneath the cross of Christ played games of chance, gambling with dice as Jesus hung there. Joseph sold off by his own brothers for pieces of silver. Jesus betrayed, sold off, sold out by one of his own disciples for pieces of silver. Joseph's suffering with a purpose It was purposeful suffering. God was sending him to Egypt to be an agent of salvation, deliverance for people. Jesus suffers for our ultimate deliverance, our eternal salvation. Joseph's robe dipped in blood. Christ shedding his blood so that we can be clothed in a robe of his perfect righteousness. Let's pray together as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. And so, Lord, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus, for sinners like us, Lord, as we prepare to to take part in this special meal that you ordained, 
Help us to examine our hearts. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone that you need to go to? Is there anything that's hindering your fellowship with the Lord? Let's take a few moments right now just to do business with him. Lord, we know that none of us is worthy to take part in this. It's about Jesus. It's about his perfect righteousness. We thank you that we have a savior as Christians who lived the perfect sinless life that sinners like us could never live. And then who died the death we should have died in our place for our sins and who rose from the dead that we might have eternal life. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. When we think about the story in Genesis 37, how do human beings come across? (laughs) You think about every human being in this story from Jacob through the brothers through even Joseph himself human beings don't come across very well here we're all sinners we see a family here that's torn apart but yet we see that God in his grace was going to create a new family a new family for his glory and and, and from that family was going to come the Savior who shed his blood for sinners like us and who rose from the dead. And if you know him as your Savior and Lord, then you are invited to take part in this celebration that we're about to take part in. If you would take your, your, your Lord's Supper kit right now Peel back the top layer. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after giving thanks, broke it, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus had taken eat. This is my body. If you would peel back the second layer. The Bible says that in like manner after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus said, drink, all of you. And so, Lord, how we thank you for the broken body and the shed blood of our Savior. 
Lord, we, we, we pray that we would turn away from trying to find nourishment in any other source than the bread of life. Lord, that we would not be relying on, on anything else for our salvation but the shed blood of Christ, our Savior and King. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 